And um, I'm also the co-founder of MintStars, which is creating a blockchain-based, more ethical alternative for content creators uh, that is sex positive and helps them avoid financial discrimination and censorship. Hello, everyone. I'm SX Noir, and this is the Thought Leader Podcast. With industry thought leaders, this podcast aims to demystify and destigmatize topics in sex, culture, and technology. If you like what you're hearing, be sure to like and subscribe. The opinions expressed by the guests of Thought Leader Podcast are their own. Listener discretion is advised. Hello. Hi. How's it going? Good, 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 good. Um, Hello, everyone. This is the Thought Leader Podcast, where we demystify and destigmatize topics in sex, love, and technology. And today, I have an amazing guest with me, Jessica, and we're going to get into all about the platform that she co-founded called MintStars. So without further ado, let's get into sex and the blockchain. Jessica, what's up? I'm great. I'm great. It's good to (laughs) see you again. It's been a long time. It has been, it's like almost, uh, I think almost like a year since I've seen you like video to video. It's been a while. Uh, we met at the inaugural, con- inaugural, inaugural conference of blockchain at Harvard last March. I yes. Think. Yeah. Are yeah. you planning to go again this year? March. I didn't even know what the details were. I've been looking them up. I've been looking up the details and I haven't seen anything. So I, I was really disappointed. I either. Like I... I think they're doing it again, but I don't know. Yeah, I'm really disappointed because I'm just kind of like, I really want to be a part of it again this year. And I have like an entire pitch for a sex tech panel specifically in the blockchain. Um, But I think it's different people running it. I don't think it's the same people as last year. So I'm definitely going to find out. Yeah, it is different people because the two two people who ran it last year graduated. Um, You should come Mm. to ETH Boston though. I just got invited as a speaker. I'll be speaking at ETH Boston on sex work and crypto and blockchain. Jessica, let's get into it. Tell me about who you are and what your background and how it brings you here to the sex and tech industry. Yeah. Um, So I am a PhD student at the Harvard Kennedy School of Government, and my research is broadly on labor rights and women's rights, um, but particularly sex work. And um, I'm also the co-founder of MintStars, which is creating a blockchain-based, more ethical alternative for content creators uh, that is sex positive and helps them avoid financial discrimination and censorship. When I found out about your PhD, I was, I was shocked, honestly, because I I had never heard of anyone doing that. I never heard of anyone studying that specifically. Um, So what brought you to that topic and and, and what keeps you going uh, in researching that? It's been a long journey, which began when I was an undergrad um, at Duke. I was studying public policy as well. And I started out studying human trafficking. I was a research assistant um, for a professor who was looking at how the U.S. government influences human trafficking policy. And then I took this amazing class on sex work when I was there that really shifted my views. Um, I had had kind of very naive views about sex work being inherently exploitative, inherently leading to trafficking. And that experience led me to come to see it as a labor rights issue. And I became really fascinated by this, as well as the ways that the anti-trafficking movement had harmed sex workers, and decided to pursue that further for my honors thesis. And I went to Argentina and Ecuador and did research on sex work there, Mm. doing interviews with full-service sex workers. And um, through that, came to see the importance of 
physical space for the sex workers there and looked at the differences in their working conditions based on whether they were working on the streets or in a brothel or you know, independently in private apartments, um, but also the way that the government limiting their workspaces was negatively impacting them. Um, and this is something that came up over and over again. They would say, I just want a place to work. The government won't let us have a space where we can work. Um, and then later I went and worked for a women's rights law firm based in the UK, um, which worked on, as part of their practice, issues of online sexual harassment and non-consensual pornography. And through that work and some personal experiences of my own, I came to see the immense amount of discrimination that online sex workers face, um, both from social media websites deplatforming them, as well as uh, discrimination from payment processors. So getting their PayPal shut down, Venmo shut down, and having no way to accept money directly from their clients other than using a site like OnlyFans, which took 20% of their earnings. And what I was seeing was really like the online version of what I had observed in person, which was the limitation of spaces where sex workers are allowed to be and the kind of ghettoization and redlining of them just on the internet. Um, so that is kind of the, the way that I became interested in this topic. And now for my PhD, I'm continuing to expand on that work. I'm trying to look at informal labor in Latin America more broadly. So um, this summer, I'm hoping to go to Colombia and do research um, with both sex workers and domestic workers to see how their experiences with the government are similar and different and how they advocate for their rights, um, as well as continuing to do this work with the platform for online sex workers. Whew, you are something else. I'm obsessed with you. I also got involved with, no, seriously, um, it's, it's, it's amazing learning even more about you in this interview as well. Um, I have a real interest in understanding the intersection between digital sex work and physical sex work and how these two things intersect. And a lot of people think that they, they don't intersect. They think that, oh, digital sex work is this legal, um, entity and they don't experience discrimination and it's, and it's all gung ho and it's amazing. And that uh, what the reality is, is that a lot of digital sex workers also work in person, also can be street-based workers, also can be people experiencing housing um, deficiencies, financial um, discrimination, things of that nature. So I love that you're kind of bringing those connections together um, to us, not only in the U.S., but also internationally and abroad, because a lot of these, um, these dynamics have parallels, right? So I want to understand, you are working the blockchain. Could you, to the people that are listening, could you just give us a brief explanation of what the blockchain is and why you've decided that your platform needs to exist on the blockchain? Yeah, so a very basic explanation of the blockchain is it's just basically a database um, where transactions are recorded. And what it enables that is different from what we've had before is that you can pretty much record a transaction between two people in such a way that everyone agrees, there's a consensus that this transaction happened, it gets recorded on that blockchain, and then from there, it can't be disputed, and it can't be changed, it's recorded permanently. And what that enables, I mean, there's, a, there's various different applications of it, but the most interesting and exciting one, I think, is um, for financial transactions. So up until now, if you want to send money to someone else, we have had to do that through banks, right? Because if it's digital, how do you prove like 
you really did send this digital $10 to this other person and they receive it and you no longer have it. Well, you need a bank to confirm, okay, we're taking that $10 out of your account. We're processing it. We're taking our fee. And then it's showing up in this other person's account. What blockchain enables is eliminating that middle person, eliminating the necessity for the bank to be involved to prove that that transaction happened because there is a system by which there's a consensus mechanism to prove that this transaction occurred. And now the blockchain, no matter where you access it, it's public. Anyone can, can access it and view what happened. It's always going to read the same uh, for anyone. Um, and so that's got a lot of really interesting potential for being able to make financial transactions happen in a more democratic manner. It's brought all kinds of problems with crypto and uh, and when people try to get away from the traditional banking system, you also introduce lots of insecurity. Um, but what I think is really useful about blockchain for sex workers is because so many sex workers have had their payment processors shut down, even their bank accounts shut down, it enables them to um, be able to receive payments in such a way that it can't be blocked, right? So if you have your own self-custodied crypto wallet and someone else sends funds to that wallet, there's no way to stop that transaction. And there's no way to take your funds out of that wallet. That wallet, like only you can access it, only the person who has the private key can access it. Um, and so we use on, on Midstar's crypto-based payments in order to avoid a situation that some other platforms have faced where their payment processors come in and shut them down because they allow adult content on the platform. Um, and similarly, it comes with all kinds of other benefits. For example, on uh, traditional platforms, creators have to wait, say, two weeks or a month before they're able to cash out their funds. But because we... Um, provide all our users with a self-custodied crypto wallet. As soon as the funds reach that wallet, the creator can then do whatever they want with them. They can cash them out to their bank or they can send them to another crypto wallet. Once they're in that creator's wallet, we can't touch the funds. We can't freeze them. We can't take them away. Um, and the money goes directly from the fan to the creator. It doesn't go through us. Um, we take, right. you know, We take a small fee on top, but we don't touch the creator's part at all. Um, so that provides them a higher level, level of protection than other platforms. So I want to understand what Mintstars is. Now, I, to my understanding, we've talked about it as a, as a quote-unquote OnlyFans competitor. Now, a lot of people claim they're OnlyFans competitors, right? And so I would love to understand exactly how Mintstars works. Talk us through uh, what it's like to be a creator on Mintstars and to also buy the content as well. Yeah, I think, I mean, the easiest way for people to understand what we're doing is to say we're an OnlyFans competitor, but obviously we want to provide something new and that's much better for creators and is open to all kinds of creators, sex workers, models, dancers, anyone who makes a living from their bodies. Um, and what Minstars is, is a combination between a subscription platform and a clip store style platform. Um, but we make all of the content that creators post into NFTs. And for anyone who doesn't know, NFT stands for non-fungible token. And that is basically a digital certificate of ownership. It's a kind of digital token that represents ownership of any kind of item. And it can be a digital item or a physical item. 
And what is cool about this is both that you can track the ownership. Um, so it's a way of kind of tracking that someone has legitimately purchased the content, but also you can build in royalties so that when the content is resold, the original creator gets royalties. And the reason that we chose to use NFTs is that we saw so many creators, um, both sex workers, models, um, basically women on the internet, having their content stolen from them and used without their consent. And we've said, you know what, if, if people's content is going to be shared, they should at least make money from the content being shared. And mm -hmm. by enabling the fans to kind of own this asset, which they can resell and the creator gets a cut of that resale, you disincentivize piracy, you ensure that the creator gets a cut of that resale, and you incentivize the fans to go out and promote that creator to other people. Because if the fan thinks, well, I can also make money if this creator gains more popularity, then I'm going to go and spread the word about her or him as well. Um, and so it aligns economic incentives between the creator and fan. Um, so the way it works is if you were a creator on MintStars and you have a profile and you post content to your subscribers, each one of your fans would receive an NFT of that content, which they can then keep as long as they want. They can watch the content over and over again. But then let's say they get tired of it. Maybe they watched it 10 times and they don't want to watch it anymore. They can then resell it on our marketplace to another fan on the platform. And so then someone new who's browsing the marketplace, looking for maybe new creators to discover, might go, oh, I've seen this creator around. I'm not really sure if I want to pay her $20 subscription fee, but here's this video for $5. Let me check it out. So then they can buy that piece of content. The creator gets whatever royalty fee she chose, anywhere from 0 to 100%. Her fan who resold it gets the rest. And then this new fan might say, you know what? I really love this content. I'm going to go buy more content from this creator. I'm going to go subscribe to her as well. And so then the creator also gains a new fan through no extra work of her own and makes more money from that piece of content than she would have from just posting it to her subscribers. Right. Like, I think this is a beautiful example of like what we want to see in the future of content creation and ownership and monetizing our, our work. Now, something that I want to point out is this is a, something that involves faith and belief, right? A lot of the blockchain technologies, NFTs, crypto, it, it, it has a certain element of faith and belief, right? That we want a better future for those who are creating content. And not only that, but as a creator, we want a better future of getting our money faster, getting our money in a better way, and also incentivizing consumers to continue to consume our content. Now, something that you know, is I actually got on the website, of course, and I ran into Goddess Venus, who is a very, very good friend of mine. Oh, I love amazing. her deeply. Um, oh, yes, she is one of my favorites. I think she's we're actually awesome. she's in town. We're going to hang out soon. Yeah. Um, she's on the platform. Now, she is someone who has very strong convictions around what she believes in, and she very much believes in NFTs. And I do believe that 
this can be a solution and an answer to discrimination that we experienced because of political legislation like FOSTA-SESTA that happened in 2018, um, which was legislation that essentially targeted sex workers online and took down a lot of their platforms and a lot of their ways to create money. On top of that, it incentivized these platforms that have terms of services that are exploitative um, and that are discriminating against those who are sex workers and creators. So I'm really, really into Mint Stars and how you all are, are creating creating your, your policy, your terms of service behind the site. Now, MidStars, you do have to be 18. You do have yes. to be 18 plus, and you all do have adult content on there. Yes. Um, how, how does that work with regulation now? Do you only work within the U.S. or are you guys everywhere else? Because I noticed that you have a U.K. email address. Oh, yeah. Our company is incorporated in the U.K. Um, my co-founder, mm-hmm. Dan, is based in London. Um, basically, half our team is in London, half is in Boston. Um, that does give us a little bit more flexibility um, in terms of like banking, for example. It, the U.S. can be a little bit more difficult of an environment for sex-positive platforms to work in. Mm-hmm. Um, that said, the U.K. isn't great either. Um, and we do enable people from all countries to join the platform, provided that adult content is not illegal in their country. Um, so yeah, right. anyone from the U.S., Europe can join. Um, that's another benefit of using crypto-based payments because it can be accessed in any country in the world where crypto is legal, whereas a lot of other payment processors only serve very specific regions. Correct. And I love that on the website you all mentioned that uh, you have um, 0% chargebacks, correct? Um uh, you guys are improving that. Now, in the U.S. specifically, we have major banking discrimination between people um, who consider sex industry, whether it be content creation, whether it be education, whether it be the whole spectrum of the sex industry as a vice industry. And by vice, it includes anything with sex, anything with gambling, um, anything with um, kind of like alcohol, things of that nature. Um, and what we need to understand is we need a new definition of adult content. And so what happens is when you have MasterCard or Visa, they say, oh, we're scared of the quote unquote risk of this platform and because of the chargebacks uh, that we can experience. Now, I want to hear a little bit more about how uh, crypto is helping solve this issue of chargebacks when we talk about uh, distribution of funds. Yeah, great question. That's a benefit that I forgot to mention, which is that when you send a crypto payment, it's impossible for it to be reversed. So there are no chargebacks when you use crypto. Um, And we use fiat to crypto on rampers so that customers can pay with a debit card or their bank account to um, basically top up their wallets with USDC, which is a stable coin worth $1. Um, So it doesn't change in value. People don't have to worry about the crypto markets going up and down. Um, And then once they send that, that money to the creator, it can't be reversed. Um, And we make that clear in our terms. And so that provides additional level of protection for the creators. And then in terms of the credit card company restrictions, this is also um, a benefit that I'm really passionate about because those credit card companies have some very kind of strange rules around what kind of content can be allowed and not allowed on adult platforms. Um, And some of them are really mind boggling. So you go on to other platforms and see their terms And they'll say things like, you're not allowed to post hypnosis content, you're not allowed to post menstruation or any kind of blood lactation, um, 
and then all kinds of other things. And and some of the restrictions make sense because they're for safety, but others seem like very strange and arbitrary. And like there are rules being made by like old white dudes in an office somewhere who don't actually understand what some of these kinds of content are. Um, so for example, hypnosis is one that has been prohibited because it's considered like non-consensual. But in reality, mm. the videos that are being posted that are hypnosis related are just like fun little like hypnosis spirals and people being like, oh, like be hypnotized by my boobs. Um, well, and you literally, I have someone that I, I'm dating. He's like an expert in hypnosis. Uh, he's a psychologist. Oh, cool. You can't be hypnotized without wanting to be hypnotized. Exactly. You have like, it's to. Not, it's not like magic. Like you have to consent to being hypnotized to be hypnotized. Right. Like I learned that in my AP psychology class in high school, like hypnosis is not possible unless the person wants it. Um, so it's a very like strange, silly rule. Anyway, because we, because we use crypto-based payments, we're not subject to those same credit card company restrictions, which means that we can actually decide collectively, well, what do we think the content rules should be? Because we don't think like, oh, just anything goes, you can do whatever you want. We still want there to be a level of safety on the platform. But if you go to our content guidelines, you can see we've tried to be very thoughtful in how we decide like what is safe, what is consensual. Um, we're very kink friendly. Um, you know, we say we believe BDSM can be a very healthy expression of sexuality. We also say, you know, there are some kink practices that maybe would be triggering to some people to watch. So if you're going to post this kind of content, please post a content warning. Um, you know, please mm -hmm. don't post anything that is illegal in your country because we don't want you to be at risk. Um, which is not to say that the law is always correct. Um, but we've tried to be really thoughtful about that and we really want creator feedback as well and, because we can shape those content guidelines based on other people's experiences. So there's a lot of these platforms that sex workers have truly built up that have tried to kick sex workers off, including OnlyFans. And so what we have to understand as creators is we get to create these terms of services. We get to listen to the creators. You don't have to create exploitative terms of services to make money and to be profitable. And we see platforms like Patreon, like OnlyFans attempted to, but the creator said absolutely not. Uh, PayPal, Cash App, Tinder, all of these, all of these platforms platforms were built off of sex workers, were built off of this concept that sex workers need to be able to have another way of receiving money and distributing money. This is why Cash App was created, right? And so I love that you all are truly listening to the people who um, are, are giving power to your platform and creating terms of services in, in your best way that are not exploitative. So kudos to you guys. Kudos to you guys. Thank you. We're so, trying. Um, I, I will yeah. come to those platforms defense a little bit. I mean, some of yep. what they've done is indefensible, but I will say yep. they are operating under very difficult constraints and it's not always their fault that they have to ban sex workers. It ultimately comes down to the banks. Like why do the platforms have to make restrictions? It's because their payment processors force them to. Why do the payment processors force them to? Because the banks that they work with force them to. Why do the banks do it? Well, I don't know, like fear of liability for sex trafficking. Um, some of that comes from political pressure that is being put on those financial institutions by anti-porn lobby groups. So, um, you know, we can be mad at the platforms all, all we want, but the people we really need to get mad at are the politicians who aren't passing laws that protect people's employment and allow people to discriminate against them. 
Oh, I love that. I love that you made that point because it's very, very true. It's very, very true. It's easy to kind of shit on everything, but it's difficult to be the creator um, of something that has a lot of constraints and has a lot of obstacles. Um, you know, my interest within the sex tech industry started because of discrimination, financial, advertising, um, censorship. And the goal of this podcast is to destigmatize and demystify these conversations so that we can understand it from a political perspective, that we can understand it from a social perspective. Um, I just went to Albany to um, lobby for decriminalization of sex work. And most of the people brought up, yeah, yeah, it was it was actually really awesome. I was the MC for the speakers and I was really, really nervous because I thought we were going to get a lot of opposition, but people were really listening and people really care. And that's something I've learned about too, is, you know, I've had meetings with Facebook, with Twitter, and these people are aware. They're not, it's not confusing to them what's happening. And, and many of them who work on um, the internal side don't want this to be happening. They don't want to be restrictive. They don't want to kick sex workers off. But like you just said, legislation and local Local areas and, and, and nationally and internationally restrict people from doing so. And so, um, you know, labor conditions really need to improve. And that's why I appreciate you approaching it from a labor perspective, because it very much is. Um, and so, yeah, we need to lean away from these moral compasses um, impacting how people can make money with their bodies in a consensual way. So, Jessica. What's up? Let's get into what you see the future of sex and technology being. Now, this can be with your platform or anything um, across the spectrum. Ooh, well, um, what you just said does bring me to I've been very happy to see that these issues are becoming more mainstream, that there's greater awareness within the general public about them. I think part of that is because sex workers have been able to express themselves on Twitter and other social media platforms have been able to get their voices out there in the media, um, even despite all of the obstacles they're facing. And even though it's not yet a mainstream political issue, I am starting to see awareness of sex workers' rights, at least on like the most progressive side of, of the political mm -hmm. aisle, um, as well as a little bit maybe within some like libertarian spaces, which is interesting. Um, so that brings me a lot of hope. I think you know, we're so much further along than we were 10 years ago. Like I went to, mm -hmm. um, I went to a conference this Saturday called the sexology summit, which was awesome. Mm -hmm. It was like a bunch of sex educators, people who work in the wellness space. And the whole conference was very sex worker focused. And in all the panels, they were like, we need to listen to sex workers. We need to be led by sex workers. And I don't think even five, 10 years ago, um, that would have been the case. I think there would have been a lot more misinformation or um, discomfort in talking about the subject because people were still maybe afraid of still thinking of sex workers as all being exploited, exploited or all being trafficking victims. Um, so I want to like take a moment to celebrate all the progress that has been made while also expressing a lot of fear for the kind of fascistic tendencies that our country is moving towards. Um, and I think we've seen, I mean, a lot of people in the adult space have called out how the restrictions we're seeing on education about gay people and about trans people at, right now and the restrictions we're seeing on education about race and slavery are like further parts of the same uh, forces that began with restricting sexual content. And um, basically expanding censorship, moralizing, and trying to create a culture that um, 
shuts down and restricts freedom of speech, which is very ironic, right? Because it's been the right saying, oh, we need freedom of speech. You guys are restricting our speech, but then look at what Mm -hmm. they're going and doing. Um, I don't know if I know what the solution is to that. I'm very afraid and worried about some of the trends I'm seeing um, and just how organized the right is um, in this area. Um, So I I think probably practically the best thing we can do is try to um, educate and pressure people who are who are just a little bit um, more moderate on the issue to come to see our side, um, because there are a lot of people who are just, you know, uneducated or unaware on these issues, and um, it's they're maybe going to be swayed by whoever gets to them first. If if the people who reach them are people saying, well. Um, such and such platform is a hotbed of sex trafficking and they are child pornographers. And so we need to shut them down. Well, of course, any, if, if someone came to me and was like, this platform is full of child pornography, I'd be like, well, that's horrible. Yeah, we should shut them down. Um, and so we need to get to them first to be like, well, actually, that's not necessarily true. Like these other mainstream platforms like Facebook and Twitter have even more child pornography than these platforms. And if you shut these platforms down, you're causing harm to way more people than you're helping because sex workers have kids too. You know, and and again, this is why I'm saying it's, a, it's as much of a political issue as it is social, as it is technical, <laughs> as it is physical, as it is all these things. And so I appreciate you bringing up the many intersections of not only sex work, but how it intersects with technology, how it intersects with the blockchain um, and what the future of um, content creation and the economics around sex work online look like in digital and digital content creation. So, with that being said, is there anything else uh, that you'd like to share? Where can we follow you? Where can we find your work? Um, well, you can follow us at um, at Minstars Real on Twitter and Instagram and TikTok. Um, we mm-hmm. would love to welcome any creators who are interested in joining, whether you're a sex worker or not. We are for all kinds of creators. Um, you can sign up to our waitlist and um, get in touch with us if you'd like to learn more. Um, if you're a fan and you want to support our creators, you can go ahead and sign up right now and subscribe to them by their content. That's amazing. Um, and I, I want to encourage anyone who's interested to get in touch with us. If you have feedback or there are things um, you'd like us to change, we're very receptive to that. We really want to shape Mint Stars into um, a platform and a company that serves people's needs. Um, so yeah, don't be shy. Amazing. Well, thanks so much for joining me. And I look forward to to talking again and getting to know more about your work. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. You've been listening to Thought Leader Podcast, hosted by me, SX Noir. Please be sure to rate, review, and share with a fellow thought leader. For more details about our guests and their work, check out our links in the description. For updates, sign up for the newsletter on my Substack and follow at sx.noir on social media. This episode's recorded by Pedro Martin and edited by Ider Armez. As always, be thoughtful.